Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to 2 Timothy. And this evening we're turning to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and looking at the second half of this chapter. We're taking um, large sections uh, um, each time. Uh, although we could look at it in more detail, there's a, an underlying theme that uh, unites a lot of these verses. So we'll be looking this evening at verses 14 through 26 of chapter 2 of Paul's second letter. This is found on page 995. Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on, the name, uh, call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Someone uh, was recently sharing a compliment that they had received. Someone had come up to them and they uh, said to them, you are someone who knows what you are for. You are someone who knows what you are for. What did they mean by that statement? What they were trying to say is, is that from observer's standpoint, from someone who was watching them, they could see something about their life that was cohesive. They could see by the way that they were conducting themselves that there was a direction to the way that they were living. There was something of an underlying aim that shaped the way that they lived their life. And if someone asked you this evening, or if someone came up to you this evening, would they be able to say, when I watch your life, I can see what you're living for. You're a person who is living for something. 
it's really underscoring the, 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 the importance of our purpose, what it is that we are uh, uh, trying to organize our life around, what is it that shapes what is important to us. And as we turn back to the letter of uh, Paul to Timothy this evening, we really want to see that Paul was writing to Timothy because he was wanting to direct Timothy about what he was to be for, what it was that Timothy was living for, and how to live in this world as a faithful worker of God. And that's what we want to look at this evening, how Paul tells Timothy that, that very thing. He charges him uh, before God to present himself as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, one who is singularly devoted to God, and one who knows what he is trying to do in this life, that his life has a sense of cohesiveness, that all the things that he is doing fall under this desire of working and of serving his God. The letter of Paul to Timothy, we have now noted, is a very personal letter. It is personal because it is written by Paul. And Paul was someone who was an instrument of God in Timothy's own faith. That there was a relationship between these two men where Timothy was formed uh, by the preaching of Paul. But it was also a very personal letter, not just because of the relationship that existed between these two men, but also because of the timing of this letter. You remember that we were saying that Paul was in prison at this time, and he was someone who was awaiting his own execution. He believed that his own death was imminent. And so as he's writing this letter, he's writing with a very intense passion to a man whom he deeply loved, to Timothy. But as much as we might look at this letter and say, this is a letter for Timothy, the spirit who guided Paul in writing this letter also preserved this letter for the edification of the church. And so this is not just a letter for Timothy. This is a letter that is for the building up of the faith of all of Christ's people. And so we should receive it like that. We understand that it was written for a particular man named Timothy, but we also recognize the Spirit's intention behind it, that it would be for the building up of the church, broadly speaking. So it's a very personal letter, but it also has a very particular aim too. When Paul was writing to Timothy, Timothy was someone who was entrusted with the responsibility of shepherding the flock. That in 1 Timothy, Paul told uh, Timothy why he was left in Ephesus. He was left there in order to deal with some of the challenges that were going on in that area. There were a lot of challenges in Ephesus. You remember, Paul was there for years ministering in this part of the world. And now Timothy is there to carry on that work. Not only was he addressing some of the challenges, but Timothy was also uh, called to to uh, bring things into order in that church, that he was to uphold order in that church for the good and the well-being of all the saints. Here now in 2 Timothy, Paul is still writing to Timothy with that in mind. Timothy is someone who is there giving oversight. He is someone there who is teaching. He's someone that is there shepherding the saints in Ephesus. But just as we can recognize this letter was written for Timothy, but the Spirit gives it for the blessing of the church, 
So in the same way, we can look at this letter and we can say, this was written for someone who was in a position of oversight in Ephesus. And yet it teaches us something. There's an application behind it that is telling us how all of God's servants are to live, especially those who are in positions of pastoral duties or of teaching in Christ's church. How is it that God's servants are to live broadly and even more narrowly when we think about overseers or of elders? And so here, as we come this evening to look at this passage, we want to think about it in that theme of being an unashamed worker of God. How is it that we should live? We should be people who live working, serving the Lord in all things, and doing so because we know of God's work. Because God is at work, we ought to be faithful in serving where God has placed us. And we want to look at these verses in just three thoughts. We want to think about the uh, approach of the worker, the unashamed worker, his approach or her approach. We want to think about the aim of God's servant. And then finally, we want to think about their assurance. So there's the approach, the aim, and their assurance. How is it that an unashamed worker is going to go about serving God in their own context? Uh, Paul mentions a number of things uh, in these verses, but we can group them together uh, in, with three R's, that they are to run, uh, they are to refrain, and they are to rightly handle the word of truth. Notice that in verse 14. Uh, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the, uh, the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. What does it mean to rightly handle God's word? Well, part of that answer goes back to the very first words of verse 14, when Paul says, remind them. What does it mean to be a faithful ambassador of Christ? What does it mean to be an unashamed worker what does it mean for Timothy to carry out his duties in Ephesus concretely? Largely, it involves reminding people of these things. That these things that Paul is talking about are the things that he just said in the previous verses. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also uh, live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. It's about talking about how Jesus is the offspring of David, that he is the resurrected one uh, who has risen from the dead, and that through him, eternal life is preached to all who believe. This was Paul's gospel. It is centered around the resurrection of Jesus. It is centered around his ascension as the risen king. It is centered around the hope of eternal life to all who believe him. And Paul says to Timothy, remind them of these things. You're living in Ephesus. You personally knew Paul. You heard Paul preach for years. Now Timothy's there and Timothy is teaching and what does Paul want Timothy to tell the Ephesian church? Tell them about Jesus, how he is risen from the dead. Tell them about how he is the offspring of David, 
the king whose kingdom reigns forever. Tell them about how eternal life is found in all who believe in him. They've heard these things. And yet these are the very things that are the lifeline of faith. These are the things that we need to be shaped by. These are the things that we so easily neglect and can so easily assume and not believe ourselves. The gospel is not something that we are to assume. The gospel is something that we need to be shaped by, to be confronted with, and something that we need to respond to. So largely, what is Timothy's real job in Ephesus? Keep telling them the message of the gospel. Keep telling them about God's work of salvation. Put that before them. Because they, de- they, they never get beyond it. They're just constantly being shaped by its implications more and more. And so Paul here is telling Timothy, what does it mean to be a worker? In his context, it means putting before the people the message of salvation. That's what Paul himself did. You remember when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said to write the same things to you is no trouble for me and it is safe for you. Paul didn't think it was needless to make known the same truths. It was safe. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he similarly pointed out the same thing. Uh, He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. Paul was bringing these matters before them because this is what is meant to shape the way that we live our lives. So Paul exhorts Timothy to be a worker who is rightly handling the word of truth. And if we're going to understand that language of rightly handling, it's going to be bringing the message before people, that central core truth of what God has done in and through Jesus Christ. But when Paul says rightly handling the word of truth, it has the idea of handling God's word rightly. Literally, you can translate those words as to cut straight or to cut right. Uh, It is the idea that something is being used as it ought to be used, that there's a correctness about it, that it becomes useful. And Paul here is saying that God's word is to be handled in such a way that the meaning of the text is apparent, that its application, we now see how it shapes our lives and how we are to live in light of these truths. It just as the writer of Proverbs says, Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, and he will make straight your paths. He will will cut a right course for you. He He will direct you in your ways. That's what Timothy's job was. It was to help people to understand what God has said, and then to say, this is now how we are to live in response. God's word teaches us about who we are. It teaches us about what God has done in Christ. This is how we are to respond to these truths. That's what it means to rightly handle God's word. It is to handle it with integrity. It is to show reverence to God's word, but it is to direct people in response. How does this shape our lives? And it's to shape our lives as the gospel is central in everything that we are doing. So Timothy, he is to be an unashamed worker, serving God. And in his context... That meant holding forth God's truth plainly so that people understood it, so that they would be shaped by it. 
so that they would know what God has said. Timothy's task, though, of being a faithful or an unashamed worker was not only in rightly handling the word, but it also uh, involved refraining. You see that there in verse 16. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as an approved worker, one who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble. Avoid empty talk. Avoid useless arguments. Don't get wrapped up into these speculations that so many get caught up in. If you go back to 1 Timothy, you'll notice that there were speculations, philosophies, myths, genealogies that people were enchanted by. They were being hooked by these things, and it was leading them in a different direction. What was so dangerous about it, though, is is that they were replacing God's word with the opinions of their own myths. They were beginning to be shaped by their own speculations. They were being shaped by their own imaginations rather than by what God has said. And here, Paul is telling Timothy, be aware of the empty talk, but refrain from it. Don't entertain it. Don't allow it a place. Why? Because Timothy's calling is to be a protector of the church. Timothy's calling is to protect Christ's people. And as a teacher in the church, he's not to entertain something that could cause others to make shipwreck of their faith. That's what Paul warned about at the end of his first letter. Some have been uh, turning away as a result of all of these speculations. And now here he is impressing Timothy about this danger. The prevailing beliefs and philosophies of the wider culture could easily uh, infiltrate the church. And there would be some who would be captivated by these sayings. But Paul warns of where these will lead. It will lead people into more and more ungodliness. You can imagine how there could have even been maybe people saying that these sayings, these, these teachings, these myths that they're entertaining are actually more progressive, that they're, they're, they're leading us to a greater enlightenment. We, we are making progress. We're learning more. And what Paul is saying here is that it is progressing them, but it's progressing them only into ungodliness. They can't, they, they aren't progressing in, a, in a, an improvement, but rather they are actually degressing. They're being led astray by being caught up with these teachings. So their advance uh, or progress is really in ungodliness. Their false teaching has the effect of gangrious cells that multiply and spread through the body, destroying vital tissues and ultimately leading to death. So false teaching exists, and once it's admitted into the church, it spreads throughout the body, causing sickness, and it can eventually lead to the death of the church. What's Timothy's task? Timothy's task is not just to remind them of the central truths, but to be able to differentiate and to not allow certain teachings a place in the church. That's the role of a shepherd. Timothy is to protect the church by not entertaining these things that would lead people into sin. So Timothy has a dual role here, both of 
reminding them, but also of refraining from things that would be detrimental or dangerous. In fact, as you read through these verses, you'll notice that Paul continues to come up with this uh, theme. Uh, He he says it uh, two other times in these verses. Uh, He says it again uh, down in verse 23 as well. Uh, He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Uh, Rather, uh, he is to be uh, holding to what is true. In verse 14, uh, he says there, charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Warn them. Timothy is to warn people in the church not to be engaging in things that can be detrimental to the health of the church. So all of this is part of Timothy's task. Uh, And then uh, Paul also uh, highlights this reality by even naming certain individuals. In verse 17, he says, Among them, among these false teachers, are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved or turned from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. Jesus has already been resurrected. But Christians also believe in a future resurrection, our physical resurrection. But there were certain teachers in the first century who were caught up in certain philosophies that didn't like that idea of a physical resurrection. And they were turning and twisting that that thought and saying it already has happened. It's just a spiritual resurrection. There's nothing else that is to happen. And Paul is saying they're actually turning from the truth. And he even names them by name. Hymenaeus and Philetus. Again, you go back to 1 Timothy. Hymenaeus was someone who was disciplined and excommunicated from the church. He was someone who was disrupting the faith of many and had to be put out. But his influence is still long-lasting. And so here is Paul reminding Timothy There are false teachers. And your job is to get the truth out so that falsehood would appear to be false and to protect the sheep from being diverted away from the false. So he tells them not only to rightly handle the word of truth, but to refrain from empty talk. The third thing that he says about his approach of being an unashamed worker is is that he is to run. There in verses 22 and following, he says, So flee, a run from youthful passions, and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What desires is Paul referring to? Paul is probably referring broadly here uh, to any inordinate desire. Uh, It doesn't have to be something narrowly associated with lust. But he's referring to any desire that controls or any desire that would captive, uh, take captive a person, whether it relates to pleasure or power or possessions. And he probably uses this language of the desires uh, are youthful desires because, as we were saying, when we're in our, our years of youth, we are in a constant flux of change. That, as one person has said, our lives are uh, desires are turbulent desires. Things feel unsteady on and off, Uh, just like being in a plane when you go through turbulence. Our desires can be the same way. But with, with time, with maturity, we hope that our desires don't have that control over us. And so here, Paul is highlighting to flee from those uh, desires that would uh, overwhelm or uh, take control of our lives. 
So progress in the Christian life is not simply fleeing from one particular area of sin, but of having all our desires brought in conformity to the will of God. The Bible says that by nature, we are living by the desires of our flesh. That if it feels good, do it, is the mindset that we have by nature. That we live to the satisfaction of whatever we desire, but our desires are unreliable. That what scripture teaches us is that we need ultimately to be delivered from being enslaved uh, to our desires that would lead us away from God. That we are uh, uh, not to simply carry out uh, the desires of the body, but rather that we are to be living shaped uh, by uh, God's will. But the Christian life is not to be simply lived by negatives. When Paul says to flee or to run, this is, this is the way we are to escape uh, from these youthful desires. He gives the positives as well. Pursue righteousness, love, and hope. Uh, these things that are to shape the way a Christian lives. But notice he puts there, uh, along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That the community of faith, the community of believers, is an integral part of living as workers of God. That we are to be, we are to be working with God's people, to be a blessing one to another, but also uh, to be uh, honoring of God's word as well. So, what is Paul's approach? What is what is Timothy's approach? He's to be a worker of God. He's to be serving God with that overarching desire that in all things he would bring glory to God. How is he doing that? He's doing that by rightly handling the word of God. He's doing that by refraining from talk that would lead people into ungodliness. He's doing that by running from youthful passions. We should be able to apply that then to ourselves even today. This is how you can be praying for uh, leaders in the church elders and pastors you should be praying for myself that we would be able to rightly handle god's word that we would refrain from youthful passions that we wouldn't get caught up in empty talk that we would be able to honor god in our callings but you can also be praying for all of god's servants in the in the callings that god has placed upon them that we would see the importance of honoring god and not being controlled by our passions that we would see it as our calling not to be directed away from God's truth, but to be centered on the, the, the teachings of God's word, on the message of good news ourselves, to be useful. And that's really what Paul is getting at here to Timothy. His approach, he tells him how he's to go about his work. But he also tells him the aim. Why is Timothy doing this? Why is Timothy to be gentle when he has false teachers around him? Why is Timothy to be patient when other people are not being patient? Why is Timothy to act this way? And Paul tells him, you're to act this way in order to be useful. You're to act this way in order that you would be a vessel that God himself can use, not one that is compromised by your own sinfulness. Paul uh, develops this idea here in verses uh, 20 and following. He says, Now in the great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Paul here is using an analogy 
And when he talks about this large house, it is understood that he's talking here about the visible community of faith. He's talking about the visible church here. And that within the broad general church, you're going to hear teachers that are honorable teachers. You're going to hear teachers that are dishonorable teachers. And Timothy has to understand that if he's going to be useful in God's work, he must devote himself to being useful. He must devote himself to honoring the Lord, of setting himself apart from everything that would contaminate or compromise his integrity. There must be a purity of life and a purity of doctrine that shapes him. And so as we were saying, we should be praying uh, for leaders in the church, but we should also be praying for ourselves that we might be useful where God has placed us. And what does it mean for Timothy to be useful? He goes on at the end of the chapter to say, in order that in verse 26, they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Timothy is doing this in order that others would come to their senses so that others might be uh, delivered from the snare of sin itself. Timothy is doing this for the church. Christians should be doing this for the sake of the unbeliever. We should be people who live with integrity before God, seeking to serve him so that my friend might understand the message of the gospel, so that my co-worker can understand that this message actually means something, so that when someone watches your life and they say, I see a direction about how everything seems to revolve around God, they can understand not only the integrity of that conviction, but so that ultimately they would be delivered from that snare themselves. It is so that they would be set free, so that they would know the salvation of God. And so there's, a, there's an aim behind this. Timothy is to be useful. He is to be a vessel of God's work. He is to be used to bring honor to God's name in the calling that he has placed him. And this is an important thing because as we think about God's providence, he has placed us in situations to bring honor to his name. Where we can say, I'm doing this to honor Christ. And so here, Timothy is being reminded of what his aim ought to be. There's his approach. There's his aim. But finally, there's his assurance. Uh, His assurance is twofold. Back in verse 19, he says, But God's foundation, uh, his firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Timothy is living in a context where there are false teachers. It would be easy for Timothy to think this is all in vain. Every time I say something, it's being, it's being combated with. It's being twisted. It's being turned around. People aren't hearing the truth. But the assurance that Timothy is to operate with is God knows those are his, who are his. Timothy will be opposed by what he is preaching. People will say, why do we need to listen to you? Who made you a Lord over us? And here, you see how Paul draws on that event in the Old Testament. He's actually quoting from Numbers, Numbers 16, which we read, where in the days of Moses, the Korah and his associates said, why do we need to listen to you, Moses? You just appointed yourself a leader over us. And they opposed him. 
And we are told in that passage that the Lord knows those who were his. Moses was to carry on his work even though there was opposition. Because he knew that ultimately it's God knows his people. And he's to carry on that work, aiming to glorify God, assured that if he is the Lord's, the Lord will be with him. And it's not, therefore, in vain. Timothy will face opposition, as we do even in our own day. But do we believe the truth about the good news? Are we being shaped by the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we seeking to honor him uh, by being vessels uh, of honorable use? There will be false teachers, even today. There are churches that do not preach the gospel, that have on their church sign, church. That should not cause us to give up on the church. It should make us aware that in a large house, there are some vessels for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. We should be confident that God's firm foundation stands because God knows who belongs to him. Just as he knew Moses, just as God's favor was upon Moses, his favor is on his people. But the second assurance that ought to shape Timothy is not only God's control of the situation, but of God's work himself. Timothy can be encouraged in his work, in his service, knowing that God himself is at work as well. God's work is to save sinners. God's work was to send his son into this world in order to deliver us from the guilt of our sin. That God's son came to accomplish that work. Jesus came to declare the, the truth himself. Jesus, like no other, rightly handled the word of truth. Jesus, uh, like none before and none after, is one who avoided being wrapped up in sin. He lived a life of righteousness. And as a result, he gave his life as a sacrifice. But Jesus in doing that, accomplished the work of salvation. But God's work continues. God's work continues even by the working of repentance in the hearts of sinners. Notice that's what it says there at the end of verse 26. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Why is Timothy doing this? He's seeking to honor the Lord with the understanding that God may change people's hearts. That coming to faith is a work of God's grace. He may grant them, he may give them that change of mind that causes them to be convicted of their sin, but also that believes this to be true themselves. So Timothy is to work because he knows the master of the house is at work. He is to work knowing that God himself is advancing his purposes. He is to work knowing that his work is not in vain, but that God himself will bring about the salvation of his people. There will be false teachers. One of the classic books of Christian literature uh, was written about 100 years ago in the 20th century. There was a Presbyterian minister known as J. Gresham Machen. He wrote a book called Christianity and Liberalism. And in that book, Machen was trying to explain there are two religions right now that go under the name of Christianity. There is what we would call historic Christianity, and there is this liberalism that also tries to use the name and the vocabulary of Christianity as well. 
And Machen's whole point in his own day was to say these are two different religions. They are not just different. They are fundamentally at odds with one another. And when Machen wrote that book, he tried to explain how do you detect the difference between these two religions if they're both talking about Jesus, if they're both talking about love, if they're both talking about mercy, how do you tell them apart? And Machen said you can tell them apart because in historic Christianity, it is a religion of the broken heart. What did he mean by that? Machen was not saying that Christianity is about people going around saying, woe is me, I'm a terrible person, I'm just a wicked person. What Machen was getting at is is that true Christianity is a religion that is transparent. It deals with sin. It doesn't simply tell you you're a great person and God accepts you as you are. Christianity deals with the awfulness of sin. It tells us that we are sinners, but it also tells us that God has provided a savior. That's Christianity. Jesus saves sinners. And that's a message that needs to be crystallized and clarified, even in the mess of false teachings that go around. So Timothy, he has to know what he is for. He's to live working to the glory of God, rightly handling the word of truth, running from youthful passions, refraining from empty talk. He's to be a useful vessel in God's service, He's to do this in order to bless others that they might be delivered from the snare of the evil one so that he might be a useful instrument himself. The same is true of us today. Are we useful servants of God? Are we people who know the truth? Are we people who see how important it is uh, to live in light of it ourselves? Have we been broken by sin? Or do we go on living our life hiding from it, concealing it, thinking that we have life by the horns and there's nothing wrong with us? Christianity teaches us that we need God's help because we're sinners. But God provides that help for us in Christ. That's a message that we want to handle right in order that God might be praised and that we might be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about the calling that was placed on your servant Timothy, we pray, Lord, that we would see our own uh, uh, situations and the callings that you place on all of your people. Lord, we pray that we would rightly understand the message of the gospel that it would be something that we do not remain at arm's length from, but that we would be people who uh, are humbled by our sin and who know by experience the work of your spirit that grants to us the gift of repentance. Lord, go before us and we pray and direct us in our steps. We ask for these things to the glory of your name.